Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to uh, that passage, John chapter 14, we're going to spend our time there. One of the challenges of looking at a passage like this, and really every, every passage we come to, is there's so much stuff that we could pull out of that. There's so much theology, so much richness that is there, and, and there's a matter of, well, what, what can we do in one uh, short sermon? And, and so um, even as Dan was reading this, like, oh, we could have talked on that and talked on that. And, and so all that to say, I'm going to give you what I think are kind of two big points that, that we need to think about in light of this passage. Um, and obviously, that's the, about the only slide you're going to get today. Um, and I apologize for that. Hopefully next week I will get my act together a little bit earlier. Um, but just to kind of catch us up to where we are, if you remember, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. We mentioned last week he has just washed their feet. He has confronted Judas, who's about to betray him. Peter is about to deny him three times. And yet Jesus is there with his disciples. He told them, hey, I'm, I'm going to go. And he kind of is over the chapter, end of chapter 13 all the way through chapter 16 is really giving his Last will and testament. A lot of theologians call this his farewell discourse. Last week we talked about the fact that the disciples could expect this to happen, that he's leaving in the near future. But um, he also placed on them ex- expectations, what he wanted them to do, wanted them to believe in him, wanted them to get to work. But he also, as in any good last will and testament, he's going to bequeath something to the disciples. And the thing that, the main thing that Jesus is going to bequeath to them is the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive into some of that today. But if you look in your, in your passage there, you'll notice that Jesus continues his discourse. And he really starts out by saying that, that we demonstrate our love for Jesus by obeying his commandments. Look at that in verse uh, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We demonstrate our love for Jesus by obeying his commandments. Now, I want you to think about this. It sort of begs the question, what are Jesus' commandments? And so when, you're, when we're doing any sort of a study, we need to look, well, what is the immediate context? What are the, what are the commands that are right around that? And then we have to look broad, more broadly at the whole book, and, and then we have to look more broadly at the whole New Testament, and then we can go extrapolate outwards to all of Scripture. But in John's Gospel... The only explicit command that Jesus gives his disciples is to love one another, and he shares that command twice. If you have your Bibles open, flip backwards to uh, John chapter 13, verses 33 to 34, and he says, a new commandment, there's that word, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then if we were to jump forward a chapter and a half up to um, chapter 15, verse 12, again, Jesus states that. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus makes that commandment to love one another. And yet when he tells his disciples, you will show me that you love me if you keep my commandments, plural. 
there's a, a sense in which we could never reach an end to what Jesus expects of us if we are constantly growing in our, in our understanding and in living out what it means to be Jesus' disciples. He's called us all to, also to make disciples. He's called us to share with those in need. And we could go on and on and really applying this. But as we think about the fact that, in fact, so much of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 is a reapplication or a reinterpretation of Old Testament laws. And so Jesus, in, in other parts of the New Testament, outside of the book of John, is really giving some further commandments, further instructions. And in many ways, in that sermon, Jesus ramps up his expectations of what it means to be obedient to the law. But let's think about this. Remember, we're in the book of John, so let's think about John's perspective. What is in John's mind as he's understanding what Jesus is helping his disciples to know, what he's commanding to them? And mainly, he's saying to love one another. So let's think about this briefly. You know, I've heard people say in the past, I love the church, it's the people that I can't stand. And yet, what is the church? It's certainly not the 501c3 status. It's definitely not the buildings, although we like to call this the church. It's not the building. Our church is made up of people who have come from all over the world, and I think that's a glorious thing. I mean, think about this. We have people from the north, Northerners, Southerners, Westerners like me, uh, most of you guys are from the East Coast, and, and that's all where we are. There are people from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, from Europe here. But in addition to that, we also come from a, a variety of family backgrounds. Some are wholesome, some are a little bit dysfunctional. We come from a variety of social backgrounds. Some have more influence than others, some are marginalized, and many of us were just average. We come from average social backgrounds. We come from a variety of economic backgrounds, some with means, some barely making ends meet. We come from a variety of educational backgrounds, some with degrees and honor, summa cum laude, and others barely making it by the skin of our teeth. And we might even say, oh, my Lord, thank the Lord that I got there. Some of us, we also come from a variety of emotional backgrounds. Failures, successes, hurts, and victories have left emotional marks on all of us. And Jesus and the salvation that we have received from him is what unites us together. And I want you to understand that. It's not, not the fact that we are a collection of all these people. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that unites us. And that, but that doesn't make it easy to love when some of those background differences have been so divisive in the past. It doesn't make it easy to love when our past mistakes and experiences have shaped us in the way that they have. And yet, we are called to, G, to keep Jesus' commandments, and that is to love one another. I was listening to a podcast on Friday and it happened to be about lament and racial reconciliation. It was a very good podcast. In fact, if you look on the website sometime tomorrow, you'll see the notes and you can click to where that is. But one of the speakers noted that in the ancient city of Antioch, the ancient city of Antioch was a segregated city. 
It was a city where Jews and Gentiles did not mix. In fact, there was over in the centuries before Jesus came into the picture, there was a great deal of strife and there's a great deal of persecution among Jews. And yet, if you were to flip in your Bible one book to the right, look at Acts chapter 13 in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now get this. I want you to see this. And because remember, we have in the back of our minds, we're all a group of people from different backgrounds, from different places. You have in this segregated city a church. And look at what is in this church. Verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, who was likely Jewish. Simeon, who was called Niger, likely African. And in Greek, Niger means dark. Lucius of Cyrene, another North African city. Manian who is likely a Greek man, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Look at what Paul points out as being a part of that early church. People from Jewish backgrounds, from Gentile backgrounds, from Caucasian or Middle Eastern backgrounds, from North African backgrounds, all in one church in a segregated city. And the impact that that made in that community was such, I think, because these guys demonstrated love for one another that in the city of Antioch is the very first place when disciples were called Christians. And we see that in Acts eleven twenty six. You have all this together. And, and so imagine amidst all of the ethnic controversy, this group of believers gathering into this new community, totally confounding the status quo of their day. So Jesus tells us right off the bat that if we are to demonstrate our love for him, then we will obey his commandments, which includes loving one another. Even if our backgrounds are different, even if our experiences are different, even if our ethnicities are different, we are to love one another. And it seems that as Jesus walked with his disciples, he demonstrated the way that God would have us live. And he came alongside and helped us, or at least helped the disciples to follow him. But now he's preparing his disciples for him to go. He's preparing his disciples to carry on the work now that he is getting ready to go to the cross and then ultimately back to the Father. And they are clearly troubled. They, are, they have troubled hearts. And we see that in verse um, in chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. In fact, throughout this discourse, Jesus says that time and, account, time and again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Which brings us to the second thing I think we need to consider today. Not only that we demonstrate love for God by obeying his commandments, which includes loving one another. But the second thing really that Jesus is, I think we need to understand is that Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit to help us obey and to instruct us in what Jesus said. Look down in, chapter, in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
As I was studying this, several commentators noted, if you notice, he says, uh, the, the Father, he will give you another helper. That word another is, is not necessarily referring to someone of a different kind, but rather another of the same kind, which means that the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is divine. He is one of the three unique and yet integrated persons of the Trinity. He's not a mystical force. As much as I love Star Wars and would love to go to Tunisia just to see all the cool Star Warsy stuff, he's not a mystical force. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. And what's more, because Jesus goes back to the Father, he makes a way for the Spirit to come, who will be both with us, next to us, alongside us, but also in us, dwelling within. But the Spirit is not just a comforter or a presence. He is an instructor. Look down in verses 25 and 26. He says, And and these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I think there's a sense in which this remembrance that Jesus is talking about is the very word that we have here. I mean, think about this. Jesus spoke these words around about 30 A.D., Right? Round about when he was 30, 33, 34, we don't really know exactly. But the only scriptures that they had back then was what we call our Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, right? And so all of this other stuff are things that I think the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance, brought to the remembrance of the apostles, of the disciples, so that they could, now John, some 60 years later, could come back and say, Yeah, Jesus said this. I think this will help the church. I I need to remind the church of this. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It is the Spirit that inspired the very writing of the revelation of God. So that as John and the other New Testament writers sat down to recall what Jesus said and what happened when they walked with Jesus, it was the Spirit who was bringing remembrance of all that Jesus said. But there's another sense in which the Spirit works in kind of an active way. And I want you to think about it like this. As, as we're gathered here together, I'm saying certain things. I'm saying certain reflections that, have, that the Spirit has led, I think, the Spirit has led me to think about in light of this passage. But even as words are coming out of my mouth, they're coming in your ears and they're doing different things in your head. And I think the Holy Spirit is working in different ways so that little things, those, those, those struggles that I have, Those sins, those besetting sins that I have, the Spirit is working to convict me of that in a way that is different from the way that He's convicting you of yours. Does that make sense? He's living and active, moving among us, working. There may be things that you glean from our time together that doesn't make it into my management or doesn't ever even cross my mind. And that, I believe, is the Holy Spirit at work in us, leading us. 
I believe that the Holy Spirit understand, helps us understand the truth of God's word in a way that is very personal and yet very applicable. Jonathan Edwards once said, the Holy Spirit in his indwelling influences and fruits is the sum of all grace, holiness, comfort, and joy, or in one word, of all the spiritual good, of, all the spiritual good Christ purchased for men in this world. He is also the sum of all perfection, glory, and eternal joy that he purchased for them in another world. One of the commentators that I like to read has an excellent commentary on John. His, name is, his last name is Milne, Bruce Milne. And he notes in this passage six gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit because Jesus is going to, fa- to the Father, and now the Father and the Son are sending the Spirit to us. And, and here, here are the things that he notes. First of all, the Spirit imparts power for the service of Jesus. The Spirit enables us to obey Jesus, and we see that in verses 12 to 14. But secondly, the Spirit will unite all the disciples to the risen Jesus in a new intimacy of communion. I mean, imagine this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but when you think about all these different guys, you have fishermen, you have educated guys, you have tax collectors, you have zealots, you have people from a variety of backgrounds, and now they're together working together to start a new church to, to really grow the kingdom of God with, with Jesus. And now they've been united just as God has united us in the cross of Christ. And it's the spirit that enables us to do that. Thirdly, the spirit will also unite the disciples with the father who will make his home with them. Look at verse 23, chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says to Jesus answered him, answering Judas, not Iscariot, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to make our home with him. How does that happen? I think it's the Spirit that allows God to make. He is the vehicle by which God makes his home with us. Number four, the the Spirit will support them, the, the disciples, in their loving obedience to the teaching of Jesus. We see this in verses 21 to 24. Number five, the Spirit will teach them. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then sixth, the last gift that that Milne notes in this passage from the Spirit is that the Spirit will impart the gift of peace which Jesus gives to his disciples. Speaking of peace, during this time when Jesus and his disciples were walking on the earth, there was a very common phrase in Latin called Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome or Roman peace. And if you notice what Jesus says to them, look in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then again, he goes back to let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But when you think about the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace that was there, that Roman peace was not there because they were just nice guys. They were there because the, the peace of Rome was there because Roman carried a heavy sword, a heavy hammer to institute justice. So if you stepped out of line, 
Rome would come in with a heavy hand. If you're, as long as you obeyed their laws, hey, there was peace in Rome. Step outside that, you might not step again. So what Jesus is saying, that the peace that they all lived in, if you will, it's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. It's not a, a peace that is demanded by, by a firm hand. It is a, a peace that is expected. In fact, Paul calls this a peace which passes all understanding in Philippians 4.7. It's a peace that can stand in the face of persecution and can remain confident in the face of trials. This is a peace which ultimately was purchased by Jesus on the cross. You see, no longer do we have to fear that judgment that we would have from God because of our sin. The peace that Jesus purchased, the peace that the Holy Spirit moves among us and says, hey, come, open your eyes, open your heart, and see what Christ has done for you. It is that peace. Now we get to live this side of the cross. Jesus took our sin on himself in order that we might have peace with God. That peace is realized as the Holy Spirit draws us in. And I want to encourage you, if you've not yet responded to the Spirit's prompting, His calling, His invitation, saying, come, repent of your sin, believe, and be baptized, then let me encourage you to respond to the Lord. Respond to what the Spirit is doing. So let me just close with a couple brief thoughts. You know, in this section of Jesus' farewell discourse or his last will and testament, he urges his followers to demonstrate their love for him by obeying his commandments. And then he enables them to obey his commandments by promising to give the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who is at work enabling us to, to obey all that God has called us to. And so I want to encourage us to be able to pay attention, to, to hear, not with audible ears. The Holy Spirit may work that way, but to hear the way that the Spirit is moving. To be sensitive to the way that the Holy Spirit might be prompting you in one way or another. It's obvious that Rich and Trisha and their family obeyed the Spirit's call to go to another context over 20 years ago not knowing what that context would be like, not knowing what kind of safety there would be there, not knowing what they would encounter. And yet God has been glorified through them these 20-some years. Maybe God is doing a work in us. Maybe God is saying, hey, would you consider going? Maybe even short term. As, as uh, Vern prayed, there are, there's an opportunity for some of us to go to the Middle East in, in December. You don't have to be a good climber or even like camping. But what an opportunity to sit around a campfire and share the gospel with people who do love to do that. Maybe God is working in your heart in such a way that he's saying, hey, I want you to move to, to, move to another context, to use your business skills, to use your teaching and leadership skills. To share the gospel where my name is not known. We sang that song earlier. We go to all the world in order to, to continue to press on and to share the gospel, to make the name of Jesus Christ known in every context. 
I believe it's the Holy Spirit that calls us into that. I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do that. Will we be obedient to obey Jesus' commands, whether we're here or whether he calls us to go? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the example of Rich and Tricia and just the way that they have been obedient. And we do pray that you would continue to bless the work that you are doing through them. Draw people to you as they pour into others. And Lord, help us, I pray, that we would be obedient to all that you're calling us to here, maybe even in other contexts. But may we be marked the way that you would have us be marked as your disciples, as your followers, people who obey your commandments, and especially in the way that we show love for one another. Lord, we know in our flesh that is impossible. But by your grace, because of what you've done, you make it possible by your spirit. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we conclude our time.